0: Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. And we'll pick up at the beginning of Acts 24, and I'll read down to verse 12 of chapter 25. Now, after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with the elders and a certain order named Tertullus. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation, saying, Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight, we accept it always and in all places, most notable Felix, with all thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear, by your courtesy, a few words from us. For we have found this man a plague a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander Lysias came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him, And the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it is no more than twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city. Nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I always, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Now after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. Or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council, unless it is for this one statement which I cried out, standing among them, concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, When Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. Now, when Festus had come to the province After three days he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him, asking a favor against him that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore he said, Let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. And when he had remained among them more than ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove, while he answered for himself, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended in anything at all. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I am an offender, or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated.
1: We have, um, as we've been studying the book of Acts again, has been seeing um, God working overwhelmingly through the church, in the church, um, through the whole thing, and we have seen how God has used Paul, originally Saul of Tarsus, and how he brought Saul to faith, and that he was going to be his his witness, um, and then. Paul along with Barnabas and then Silas and others on uh, a traveling kind of ministry pro- proclaiming the gospel to the world and expanding the gospel to the world. But over the last couple of weeks, we've seen how that now is starting to transition. That God now is taking him from this traveling ministry to then fulfill what he had declared would happen in his life, through his life, by him. And that is that Paul would be the one who would take the message to the kings. That way back in the beginning, when he was still Saul of Tarsus, when God sent the prophet to him, Ananias, to to take the, the blindness away from him, he declared, "...go for he, Saul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, before the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake." When Paul, Saul of Tarsus, was heading to Damascus to persecute the church, Jesus let him know, when he appeared to him on the way, that really he was actually persecuting who? Jesus. And so we're reminded of that, that when people persecute you, that ultimately the persecution isn't to you, but rather it is against Christ. The battle, again, is a spiritual war that's going on. It's not against you, flesh and blood, but rather it is in the spiritual realm. And so we saw a couple weeks ago where this whole, begin, this whole process begins where God is now moving him into this final phase. Um, and that is that Paul goes to the temple, and there's a slight disturbance. Um, because Paul is what? Innocently fulfilling a vow that he has made to Yahweh. And so he goes to the temple, and while he's in the temple, there were men that saw him there, and they presumed that he brought a Gentile into the temple, which he hadn't. So they put up the alarm. They say, this is the guy who was taught everywhere, the Jews everywhere, no longer to, to follow the laws of Moses. And look, even worse, he's brought a Gentile into the temple. No one ascertains whether that's a true statement. Mayhem ensues. They grab him. They yank him. They tear him. They move him out of the temple and along into the cities where they're going to stone him and they're going to kill him. They're going to tell us that. We just read that with, uh, when Chuck did his reading. They were going to take care of it. And so the Romans heard about it. They sent the detachment down. They, they grab Paul. They take him back to the um, Antonio Fortress. Paul has an opportunity to be able to share with the the people um, how God has spoken to him and how Jesus appeared to him. And everything is good until Paul says that Jesus told him to take the message to the Gentiles. At that moment, everything implodes, right? It all goes. At that moment, then, um, they take him into the fortress. The centurion is about ready to scourge him, to whip him, to beat him at the command of the, of the commander. Paul then says to him, he begins using his rights. It's kind of where we're kind of heading here today, right? And so he begins to use his rights as a Roman citizen. And he says this to the centurion, stop for a moment. I mean, he's already tied up, already, you know, all, is it lawful for you to scourge? An uncondemned Roman—that stops the processes right off the bat. Centurion goes to commander and says, "Ah, uh, we need to be careful here because this guy's claiming to be a Roman citizen." The commander comes in and says, "Ah, I paid lots of money for mine. How did you become a Roman citizen?" He says, "I was born." Roman citizen and so we talked about that how Paul was born in Tarsus Tarsus was a free city and so that he had all the privileges of being a a free citizen of Rome at that moment and it was unlawful for them actually to have even put him in bonds at that moment so so they release him um, and now they want to go through this process of finding out whether whether he's he's true and honest in all this because they don't know what even is the cause of, of this whole tumult? They just assumed that he was in fault in all this, but now all of a sudden it's like, how are we going to find this out? So they take him to, the, to this, the Sanhedrin, to the council. Paul then asks the Sanhedrin, which again we read in this morning because he shears it to Festus later, right? He says, if it's for this one question which I asked him um, regarding the statement that I made regarding the resurrection of the dead, so he says, at the end, he says, um, give me a second. We're there. If you find it, help me out. That's probably it. Ah, it is. Thank you, Steve. It says, Unless it is for this one statement which I cried out standing among them concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. And when he made that statement, what happened? Tumult. Why? Because the Sadducees and, the Pharisees, had of view. The Sadducees and the Pharisees had different points of view. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. Okay. They didn't believe that after you died, you are raised from the dead. Pharisees did. And so now all of a sudden, there's a tumult. So the centurion has to grab him and take him out of there. Everywhere he goes, Paul's causing a tumult. Okay, So back into prison. So last week, we saw then the beginning of God fulfilling his plan, and that is sending forth Paul to Rome. In the first phase of that, God's showing his sovereignty in that whole thing. Was that he foiled the plot? Then that the Jews. The next step for the Jews was to try to plant, have a plot in which they could kill Paul. And so, um, forty men plus make a vow before God that they would neither eat nor drink until they could kill Paul. Right. And so they tell that to the the council, and they ask the council to go ahead and request for Paul to be able to come and speak to them again. But he'd never make it because they would be waiting and late, uh, waiting, laying in wait lying in wait, so that when the Romans would send him, they would be ready to overpower the Roman soldiers, Roman guards, and they would kill Paul. Okay, So you need to kind of understand how all this is playing out. Okay, Now, I want to add another little detail to the, to the malu, to the historical malu that is going on right now that we haven't talked about yet. And it's referring to Felix, because we're going to be talking about Felix. Because Felix is still around, while all this is going on in Jerusalem, we just don't read about him, but we're going to start reading about him today. Felix, um, and well, let's go back here. Ananias is the high priest, yes? He's only the high priest because Felix had the previous high priest killed. Okay? That kind of adds a little dimension here, doesn't it? So the previous high priest's name was Jonathan. And so you can read um, um, oh, Antiquities of the Jews, Joseph. Antiquities of the Jews. Okay, and read this whole account. And so, um, Felix wanted to become the, the 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 governor of the whole area. He had a Jewish Jewish wife named Drusilla, and so he he yearned to be the guy in charge of this whole area. And so he became in charge of the whole area. But he wanted to be in charge, and so he ruled with a, uh, a, a uh, an iron glove. And so and to put everything together, and so the. The Jews really didn't acquiesce to him like he wanted to, so he made sure that they acquiesced, if that makes sense, okay? And so there was not a, a, a great love affair, if you would, between the Jews and Felix, okay? In fact, it was rather the, the opposite, okay? The Jews didn't trust Felix. Felix didn't trust the Jews. And so you need to understand all this when, when this is all playing out, okay? Um, messages are being sent back to Caesar, Okay, who had established Felix in his position? That Felix isn't doing his job, rather, there's going to be greater uprisings going on because of Felix. Okay? And so, one of the things you don't want as the governor of, of one of the territories of Rome is to have Caesar against you. Does that make sense? Okay. So, hence, there's a need for Felix to keep the Jews pacified. Are you tracking? Okay? All right. So we bring all that in now into this whole thing. Okay? Sovereignty of God. Is God sovereign over all the affairs of man? The answer is yes. Okay. So as we now carry this into this next phase, because we saw how God is sovereign over then the the plots of man, and how God is sovereign even over the commander and the centurion, right? Is God sovereign over the judicial systems? Of man? Is God sovereign over the judicial systems of man? And I know you're a church, so the right answer is yes, God is sovereign over the judicial systems of man. But the minute you walk out of here and you have a lawsuit against you, what do you begin to think then? How do you begin to act? God really sovereign over the judicial systems of man a couple years ago a couple years ago it's not very long ago we can remember it governments and I'm not going to make yeah I am no I'm not anyways they had their desires right and pushed forth their desires right and things were going through courts and, and churches were being sued whether they, they could be meeting or not meeting and all this kind of stuff and we had to ask ourselves this, these questions Not necessarily like this, because again, theologically, we have to say what? Yes, God is sovereign over the judicial systems of man. But practically speaking, many times we act like what? God needs me. Because God's impotent to handle things on the human plane. He needs me to be his hands and feet, he needs me to think for him, he needs me to be the upriser on his behalf. I'm not here to say when to uprise, when not to uprise. That's not my point. What I want us to get out to today is how God uses, even then, the judicial system to bring about his plan. Because again, remember, from the beginning, that's why I wanted to go back to that verse, from the beginning, when before Paul was Paul and he was still Saul, God said, you will what? You will go before kings. You will go before kings. And last week as we talked about it, and anyway, I went to Jeremiah and I talked about, you know, I know the plans I have for you and all this kind of stuff. Well, I know the plans I have for you, Paul. Plans to persecute you. Not, not, not the, all this other blessing stuff, right? But they were blessings. But because, Paul, I, have, I know the plans I have for you. I'm going to take you before the kings. But it's not going to happen the way you might have thought it was going to happen. It's not the glorious, glamorous, you know, I got opportunity to go up before the president and he's just walking me into the Oval Office and, and all this kind of stuff. It may be that I get to meet the president in a, in a not-so-good way. Does it make sense? But you're going to have the opportunity to do what? Present the word. Will you do it? Will you do it? There are times when God gives us opportunities to witness the nurses and doctors and hospital staff. But it doesn't usually come in the way that we want it to happen. It's because we didn't go there on our own as missionaries to do it, and so God gave us a a means of meeting people we would have never met before and sitting in a hospital room having a plague upon us in order that we could be the missionary to individuals who might need to hear the word. But we want to live the American dream. We want to be lazy. We want to be complacent. We want to play our video games. I'm, I'm looking in the mirror, y'all. I'm not looking at y'all. I I'm, mean, I'm, I'm looking in the mirror. I get it. But there's only so much time, and God's got a plan. So today, we see Paul come before Felix and then come before Festus. As he comes before Felix, the first thing we see, because they're down in Caesarea, and Felix says, sends for the people to come, and so the, the Jews come, and they come with an orator. I just thought that was kind of fun. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but lawyers today need to be very good orators because they're presenting their case before the, 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 um, the jury, and they have to sway the jury. And a lot of times, it's not based upon what? facts, it's based upon the feelings that they're going to get, you know, emotions and everything else that they can, they can bring into this jury, okay? Well, there's facts that are important, but you know, the guy, you know, and so there's that part. So Tertullus was, a, was an orator, that's what we're told. He wasn't a lawyer from that perspective, okay? So they didn't get one of their lawyers to come down and present their case. They actually got a Roman orator who was able to speak eloquently, okay, to him. And so they come down and they present their case, their accusation. The first accusation against, is against Paul. What about Paul? He's a creator of dissension. Now, this is huge. Who are they talking to? Specifically, come on, this is a no-brainer. Who are they talking to? Governor Felix, okay? And I just gave you a little bit of a background of what's going on. So, what, what do you know about Governor Felix? What's happening in Governor Felix's Judean uh, realm? There's disorder, there's some chaos, there's some dissensions going on. Words are getting back to Rome, right? And so the very first label, label, it doesn't have to be true, it doesn't have to be true. The very first label that is placed upon Paul is that he is a creator of dissension. He's part of your problems, Felix. He's part of your problems. He's a ringleader, literally a prime establisher of the Nazarene sect. That's a negative. That's a bad thing. Remember, your wife's Jew, Drusilla, just so you know, just kind of throwing this one out. He's a, he's a prime establisher of this group here. And he is a desecrator of the temple, which you know, O Felix, is going to row up the people. This guy is a no good. Dirtbag. And now we're not going to stop here, though. They should have left Waldenough enough alone. Because they don't stop with their accusations here. Who's the next person they accuse? Lysias. The commander. Now they throw accusations to Lysias. We were going to handle it. We were judging Paul. We were taking care of it according to our laws. But Lysias... Belisius came in violently, violently. I couldn't believe it. We're here. I mean, we were handling this thing just judicially. I mean, just really nicely. I mean, this guy's causing uprisings. We're handling this for you, Felix. We're trying to dispel the dissensions and everything else going on. But this commander, he comes in and causes violence, which is kind of fun. In your sermon, I put the reference there to work what was going on in the violence that actually Lysias came in the midst of. The Jews were actually have, having this violent mob, right? And so I think it's fun with the words that are being used here. And so they say, you know, we were going to do them, so you wouldn't be bothered us, but Lysias, Lysias violently forced his way. Oh, I have it up there, Acts 21. And commanded us to come to you. All this bother on you, oh, excellent Felix, it's because of Lysias. So I want you to think about that. They slam Paul. I think they lose their case here. Who's Felix? Who does he represent? Rome. He doesn't represent the Jews. He represents Rome for the Jews. Does it make sense? And now who are they accusing? Rome. Rome. They're accusing Rome you got to left well enough alone to that one, okay? But again, God is what? Sovereign. Do you get it? And I'm not saying that God put the word in your mouth to say this at this time, but sometimes, because we're not told, okay? This is like, you just, but I think this is kind of an interesting thing, that if they would have stopped, it would have been okay. But they had to keep moving on to make themselves look magnanimous. Do you get it? Isn't it when problems usually come? When i got to exonerate myself. When i got to make myself look really good. I can't just present facts. I've got to present things that make somebody else look bad and make myself look good. It happens. Well, Paul has an opportunity then. Felix nods to him, gives him the opportunity to speak for himself. So Paul comes back. And what he does is he communicates details regarding his arrest. You know, it, it can be vouched that 12 days ago he gives specific dates. It's not until you start reading what Paul says that you realize what the Jews didn't tell. Paul starts going with dates, times, events. 12 days ago, you can figure this, you can check it out. It's, it's provable. I was in a temple, I was going there to fulfill a vow. I wasn't causing any arguments. I hadn't gone to any synagogues. I hadn't been arguing in the synagogues of Jerusalem. I hadn't been arguing in a temple. You can go and you can check this out. It's all factual. It's all there. This is all how it played out. And then he called for the accusers to prove their case. In all these things that they're saying about me, they can't prove any one of them. There's no proof for any one of these things. Again, Paul is using the system. We talked about this last week. Paul is using the system that is there. He's a Roman citizen, and he understands the Roman judicial system. Can I just ask real quickly, and you don't put your hands up, just think about it. Do you understand the U.S. judicial system? If you were arrested right now, do you know the process that you have to go through? Or are you totally overwhelmed? It's the same thing like we talk about when, when somebody dies. You know, I, I volunteer myself to be there because I've gone through the process with numerous people, uh, with, the, with their lost loved ones and that kind of stuff. But normally we don't even think about what we do after somebody dies um, until after they're dead, right? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, what do I do now? Who do I call? Where do I go? How do I do? You know, it's the same thing with the judicial system. We always think it'll never happen to me, to us. That's why we start having cameras everywhere on, on, on the church property, right? It happens. I hope it never happens to us. I hope there's never an accusation. But we have cameras everywhere. We publish that. So if, you didn't, if that's a surprise to you, it shouldn't be a surprise, okay? Why? For the protection of individuals, both those who could t- potentially be the... Um, uh, Harmed? No, the ones who are harmed, because it it provides there, but also those who are the accused, because not always are accusations honest and truthful. Does that make sense? And in our day and age, if a guy is accused of anything with a child, guys, you are guilty. You all know it. You all said it. So, so you got to know. You got to understand the system. And there's wisdom that plays in the system. Does it make sense? Paul understands the system, and he's using the system. He's def- and so our, our form of governance, our form of judicial system is based upon the Roman one. And so he's calling upon, which is actually goes back even to the law, um, back into the Old Testament. And that is you have to have at least two or three witnesses, right? And so he's asking. He says, I want proof. Bring proof. Have them bring proof. That's all I'm asking for. Right? Later on, we see, he says, "Festus, I'm willing to what? I'm willing to die. If, I, if, 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 if I'm deserving of death, I'm, I, I'll accept that. But I want it to be proved that that's what I did. If I'm a mass murderer and I deserve capital punishment, I'll accept it. But at least prove that I'm what? The mass murderer. Do you get it? That's what he's basically saying. Not that he's a mass murderer, but you I'm saying. That he's, that, that he's guilty of one of these things. Well, he doesn't do that. And finally, he confesses his faith in the resurrection of the dead. Because he says, that really is the true statement. Now, one thing I want to state here, okay? Because I see it. It's there. What doesn't Paul state in this confession? When he's coming through here, remember the accusations that were placed upon him. When he comes through and says about the the resurrection of the dead for this one statement, then is is the problem, okay? The resurrection of the dead. What does he not share in this thing? This should be glaring to you. Say again? He didn't mention the call of the Gentiles. No, the call of the Gentiles. I heard somebody over here. No? Say it louder. That Jesus was the one who rose from the dead. He never mentions Jesus' name. He never mentions Jesus' name. A lot of you are looking at me. Read it again. Check me out. He never mentions Jesus. That perplexes me. That perplexes me. And yet, I understand, tact within a judicial system. Do you understand? He didn't have to mention Jesus in this moment. The issue was the resurrection of the dead. The Jews understood it. They even presented a case that he was the ringleader or the the, the main establisher of the sect of the Nazarenes. And had going to have the opportunity to talk to Felix and Drusilla later on, and we're not told what he talked about, but I'm, I'm, I'm positive. I mean, in my brain, I mean, I can't prove it, that that was part of the conversations. But during the judicial case, during the hearing, he didn't bring up extraneous information. Do you understand? He dealt with the accusations as they were presented. And the accusations against him was as a rebel rouser, as a causer of dissension. That's what he dealt with. Are you tracking with me? There's wisdom. There's wisdom in, again, understanding the judicial system. There's a time and a place for all things. I really believe that if, if this was the moment where God wanted him to declare Christ, he would have declared Christ. But he knew that it wasn't. This was all about the judicial system. Okay. So it's something for us to think about, okay? Cuz sometimes we wrap, we we cause things to become fomented more and more because we can't close our mouths. Okay? So, thirdly, the indecision of Felix. What happens here? Felix can't what? He can't make a decision. Why? Again, it goes back to the thing I've mentioned earlier, and that is he's he's already in trouble. So think about it. If he chooses to, to, to go with the Jews, what is his choice really? To turn Paul over, to, okay, but to go against what he knows to be true. Do you understand? And so he doesn't want to do that. Also, the implication against who? Against Lysias, right? So if he chooses Paul and says, you guys are a bunch of crocs, I know what's going on, Now he makes it even worse. So he says, let's defer the case. Oh, first of all, his discernment of the way. This is important because we're told that that he knows about the way. And that's kind of a cool little detail given to us. That he knew all about the the sect of the Nazarenes, or what was commonly referred to as the way. He had exact knowledge of it, okay? And so I put the words up there so you can see it's a state of being accurate. It wasn't like he just knew a little bit. Somehow he knew, okay? Okay? As the governor, he had exact knowledge about what the way was. Okay? But then he defers the case until Lysias comes and says, so I, I don't have to make a decision. I can kind of put this thing off. We're not going to do anything until Lysias comes so that Lysias can defend himself against the accusations and he then can confirm, validate the charges which are against Paul. He then, though, and this is interesting to me because it then validates my other thought, he then decides he gives Paul total liberty. It allows his friends to come in and minister to him, provide for him, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Which, if if he didn't think that Paul had a, had a leg to stand on, what would he have done? Could have bound and chained him, but he could have just at least limited his liberty. Does it make sense? Put uh, put him in a, in a cell, whatever, a holding cell. Okay, didn't have to necessarily bind him. Make sense. He could have just put, put him in, and he didn't have to let his friends come in. But he treats him with this, like a house arrest kind of concept and just lets him do whatever, okay? And so Paul's being fed. He's being provided for. His friends are coming in for him. And then he brings them in to have discussions with them, he and Drusilla, his wife. And we're told that they were pretty good conversations, okay? Because he's looking, so he gets a little bit... Undone by them, right? So he says, verse 24, And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jew, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. Yeah, Felix was afraid. So, So Paul's having a good theological conversation with them, okay? Again, Jesus isn't mentioned there, but everything else about Judgment and, and, and all that's there, okay? So I believe salvation's probably there as well. Felix is becoming afraid. Afraid of Paul? No. Clearly it's not Paul, afraid of Paul. Paul couldn't do anything to him. He's being afraid of God at this moment. Those kind of conversations ceased at this moment. But we're told that he delayed Paul's case, then as a favor to the Jews, but in hoping that by delaying it as well, oops, Paul would seek to bribe his way out. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Have you heard of um, areas around the world where you need to bribe to get things to get things through? Sounds like the United States. No, anyways, no. But for real, okay, so here's the deal. I want you to think about this. Have you known about people who have bribed officials, Christians, who have bribed, bribed officials in order to get Bibles through or to get something else accomplished? Yes. I'm not here to judge them. But this makes me stop in my tracks. Because if Paul would have offered Felix a bribe, Paul would have been walking. Paul could have got out. Do you read it? That's what I read. Felix is waiting for a bribe. That's why he's holding him, waiting for a bribe. If Paul just gives me a bribe. But Paul doesn't give him the bribe. And so, again, this is just a Bob moment where I have to struggle and I have to pray and I have to analyze things. Okay? Is lying good or bad? Is lying good or bad? Go ahead, say it louder. Bad, the little kids are saying bad, the, you know, the adults are saying, I'm, you're setting me up, and you're, you're exactly right. <laughs> it, we know, it. lying lips are an abomination of the Lord, I mean, come on, y'all, I mean, this is for real, abomin- lying lips, you know, these, these six things God hates, right, and so he hates lying lips, and yet, what happened to Jericho? You know where I'm going, what happened to Jericho? Rahab what? She lied. Rahab lied to protect the the spies. Is Rahab ever mentioned later on as being a woman of honor and faith? Of course, you know that. Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, she is a, a woman of faith because she did what? Lie. What about those two women in the book of Exodus who were supposed to be giving birth to um, Hebrew babies, and if they were sons, they were supposed to what? Kill them. And, and so they weren't. But they were brought before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, so why aren't you doing what you're supposed to do? What did they do? They lied. They said, well, the Hebrew women aren't like the Egyptian women. They're hardy, and they give birth before we ever get there. What happened as a result of them lying? Moses But I'm talking about those two women. What happened as a result? God came down and he condemned them. Is that right? And he killed them. Nope, not at all. What happened? He didn't just save them. He gave them families. They were without children before that. But God blessed them and gave them their own families. Does that make you scratch your head just a little bit? Pastor Bob, what are you doing? (laughs) Abom- lying lips are abominations, but now you're going to give me all these illustrations that were, where God blessed someone who lied. Those were acts of war. Acts of war. It wasn't um, to get something for themselves. But there's a difference between war. In war, how many of you guys have ever been in the military? Okay, you get it, right? In, 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 I don't telegraph to the enemy where I'm going to... Um, where I'm going to attack. Rather, I want to telegraph to the enemy where, he, where I want him to think I'm going to attack. That's called deception. That's really like lying. A feint. It sounds nice that way, though, doesn't it? F-E-I-N-T. It's, oh yeah, it was just a feint. It was a lie. I'm lying to the enemy. So the enemy will go defend there while I'm really attacking here. Make sense? In war, things are different. I kind of liken the judicial system to a minor war in my brain. Does that make sense? You're being attacked. There is a it's like chess being played. I love chess. Okay? Chess is like war on a on a board. No one gets hurt, no one gets killed. Okay? And so you just knock over the, the king and he's really not dead because he never was alive. So, but the reality is that that's how it plays out, right? This war. So so all this is going on. Paul doesn't give the bribe, though. I'm not going to tell you whether it was right or wrong or indifferent. Paul doesn't do it. Why? Say it again. He's got to go to Caesar. He's got to go to Caesar. He doesn't know this is going to be the way to go. But maybe he does. I think in the end, he's trusting in God. That God at this moment is the one who is overseeing his judicial case. He knows he's not going to die because God's word wouldn't be true then. He's not going to die. So he's not worrying about that, but he doesn't know how God is going to send him to Rome. Does that make sense? And so he's trusting in God. If God, think, At this moment, he could be exonerated by Felix. Felix could set him free, right? And then he does whatever on that way but he's not going to get out by deception. What would, it, what would it prove to Felix if Paul offered the bribe? He's guilty, potentially, or that, he, that Paul really didn't believe that his God was able to save him and protect him. Undermine the entire message that you're trying to do. So would it have been wrong? I'm not going to say that for him to, to offer the bribe. I'm not going to go there. I can't answer that. But it would have underlined everything he, would have, what he was teaching at that moment. Okay? So, Felix delays it. He gets put out. Um, you can read the, the history on that one. Okay? He gets removed. Festus comes in. So, Festus comes in. He immediately goes to Jerusalem. He goes up and he talks to the, the Jews. The Jews want... Uh, Festus to bring Paul up to Jerusalem. And so, but we're told behind the scenes that they were going to do that. They wanted him to come to Jerusalem so that they could what? They could ambush him again. Isn't it kind of interesting? They're still willing to do the ambush so they can kill him, murder him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think those 40 guys were alive anymore. It's been a couple years at this point. They're dead. Another 40. But they're going to do the same thing. But it's interesting, because Festus' is ruling then is that, no, in fact, um, you can't, I'm not going to do that. We're going to, we're going to go down to Caesarea, and you need to come down there. They do come down there, okay? But now they come down there, they present all these strong arguments or whatever, accusations against them. And he turns then to Paul, and he says to Paul, are you willing for me to take you up to Jerusalem so you can face the accusers there? Why does he do it? Well, we're told right off the bat, in order to appease the Jews. Why is he seeking to appease the Jews? Say again. To keep order. Felix, go ahead, say it again. Save his, Save his neck. Felix was just removed for this. Do you get it? It was not the most pleasurable place to become a governor. To be in Judah, okay? And so he's trying to preserve order. He knows he needs to appease the, the Jews. And Paul is just one man. That's an election time. Yeah, that's exactly right. It happens at election times. That's exactly right. That's exactly right, okay? And so he says, well, are you willing to go? Paul then, shh, bring it to the end, right? Paul's response is a call for justice. Look, I'm standing where I need to stand. I'm standing in the court of justice. At this moment, you are the judge. I don't need a jury trial. I don't need to go to Jerusalem. I'm exactly where I need to be. The only reason to go there is for the Jews to get their way, and that means that there's not going to be justice. I'm appealing for justice. So at this moment, you have made your decision Festus, or yeah, Festus. And so I'm going to make my decision and I'm going to appeal your decision to take me to Jerusalem, the next step higher. And I'm going to appeal to Caesar. So you're in the lower court and the ruling goes against you. What is now your right? Appeal. To appeal, to appeal to the high authority. That's exactly right. Okay? Kids, kids, let me. You look at me for a moment, okay? Appealing to authority is a very important thing, okay? Too many times, as adults, and so like as kids, you come up to an adult and you demand your rights. I want a cookie. All oh, the parents are laughing, that, that was a right? Well, in their brain it was. You have cookies? I deserve to get one. Ever heard of the French Revolution? Let them eat cake. Okay. Well, it's Bastille Day the other day, so you know. So yeah, we deserve it, right? So here we go. And so they come in. Rather, the proper way to potentially obtain the cookie is to do what? Appeal to their authority. To appeal to the authority of the one who's over you. May I please have a cookie? Mother dearest, I mean, you, you remember how Tartarus began talking to Felix, and oh, most excellent Felix, and even Paul adds a little bit to it too, so kids, it wouldn't be bad if you kind of did that, okay? Oh, most excellent mother of mine, the one to whom God has graciously given me all these years, you have sustained the blessing upon me, for, all, and you have now made these gracious cookies. No, for real though, kids, appeal to their authority politely, and nicely. In my house, okay, I'm not saying you got to do it, but in my house, can I do this, Michelle? The kids had to come up and put their hands, if we're having a conversation, they don't just come up and butt in the conversation because they're not the center of the universe. But they would have to come up quietly, silently, put their hand upon our arms and wait for the authority to acknowledge them. And when the authorities said, what do you want? No, anyways. <laughs> when the authorities said, excuse me, Michelle. Yes, dear, what do you want? I want a cookie. Daddy, man. <laughs> no, no. Got to work it better here, man. Oh, Father dearest. No, anyways. I take out the yeah. <laughs> I it? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All right. Can I, may I have a cookie? May I, not can I. Can I, you kids know this from, from the uh, kids club. I do it all the time. Can I go to the bathroom? I think so. I don't see any reason why you can't. Is there anything I should know about you? I'm not a doctor. <laughs> right. I'm, not a doctor. I'm really not going to go in and find out. So, <laughs> you know. uh, May I go to the back? Yes, you may. Okay? Appeal to authority. Okay? Now, I'm using the kids because that's important for the kids to learn. You need to appeal to authority, treat the authority properly. But as adults, we need to learn to appeal to authority in a proper way and understand our authority structure. Yes? OK. If I, it goes against me in a lower court, I have the rights as a US citizen to appeal to a higher court all the way to the Supreme Court. Sadly, it's coming. It's coming that that may be preempted, and you may have to go to the World Court. Okay. If they if they pass the UN Convention of the Rights of the Children, I've talked about that for years. It's sitting out there. It's a time bomb. It's in Congress. It's in the committees. It's been there for since Madeleine Albright signed it when Bill Clinton was the uh, president. Okay, it's been sitting there. Most people don't even know it. Okay, minute that gets signed by Congress, minute it gets ratified, we become subservient to the to the United Nations. Okay, and then we become subservient to the World Court, which is in Rome. Our Supreme Court already uses the UN courts. Um, what do you call it? Um, Precedents as decisions in their own decisions. Most people don't know that. Check it out. You have got to become wise, you've got to become understanding of the day that you live in. You need to understand your rights. Now, again, I'm not that revolutionary pastor who's telling you to take up your arms and go, you know. But what, I, what I've, wisdom is like Paul, knowing where he lived in the time that he lived, and he knew his rights. And he used them. So, in the end, are you living in the confidence of the sovereignty of God or are you living in the fear of man? God reigns. He rules. None of the things that are going on in our world today have taken God by surprise. And he can bring a great awakening. And he can bring a great revival. Revival. <laughs> we don't need just a revival. We need a revival in our land. Are you praying for it? You need to be praying for it. You need to be asking God. You need to be a part of it. The only way people get to know Jesus Christ as their Savior is somebody's telling them. Who are you trusting in for justice? Do you believe that God can overrule man? How submissive to authority are you? Ouch. Isn't that hurt? Are you willing to trust the sovereignty of God through our court system? Through our court system. I'm telling you, that's a struggle for me. Because I look at the inadequacies of our court system and I go, ah, but God. And then I have to stop, right? Because, but God, but God. That's exactly right. And God can use the court system to magnify his name through me while I go through the process. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. Thank you for your love. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You rule over the nations, Father. And as we prepare to sing this next song from Daniel 4, Lord, I'm mindful of it being even Nebuchadnezzar who spoke the understanding that you reigned over all the nations. You reigned over him as the, 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 the most powerful man in the world at the time. You still reign. Lord, help us to to trust you. Help us to understand that you have a plan, and that we're just cogs in that, and that we would be willing, Lord, to live lives that are honoring and glorifying to you. Help us to be bold. Help us to be wise. Help us to be discerning. Help us to be diligent, to read and to study and to learn, that we may be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks us a reason for the hope that's within us, that you might be glorified in Christ's name. Amen.